overcome unbelief. Now, this is a topic that I have some personal experience with, unbelief. And so this is an exciting topic for me to talk about because it's a bit of a a defining part of who I am. Someone who did not grow up in a Christian home, someone who had to struggle and fight to understand and to grab hold of the basics of the faith after coming to faith. And it was just a long, difficult process for me. And so it is something that can be overcome and can be redeemed. So we can go through that process even with unbelief where we consider it pure joy. You know, like what is going on? And you know, well, God's going to show me something. And then we persevere through it. Don't just get jaded and quit on God in the middle of it because you don't understand it, then you can get to the other side. And look at what God's done with me. I get to be a preacher. I get to like explain the Bible to people as my job. I'm the guy who didn't get it, who didn't understand and had to work really, really hard to understand it. And so then all those lessons I learned, I can share with you. And so God is redeeming that. And it's really, really a neat thing to see how God brings us through and makes us stronger on the other side. So we're going to look at a situation. And uh, as I was doing the, uh, you know, the research and looking stuff up on this, I hadn't noticed this before, but this is, this event happens right after the transfiguration. So the transfiguration is where Jesus is transformed into like his heavenly presence before the eyes of a few of the disciples. And they're just like, wow, that's amazing. And then they come down off the mountain. And when they meet up with the disciples, this is what's going on. So here we go. Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So can you hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice here? He's like, oh, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. So he, he calls for the boy. Verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. Now here's a little, a little tidbit. When the power of God's about to happen, the enemy doesn't like that. And he's going to try to mess it up. So the boy's father could have been, oh no, oh, it's getting worse and gone home, right? But he didn't. He didn't go home because he wasn't scared by this moment. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. If you can, said Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus is like, do you know who I am? If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I greatly respect this man for saying this to the Lord. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
So many times people are afraid to express the fact that they're just not 100% on board with what's going on. I'm just not sure if this is going to work. I don't really know what's going on. I know God is good, but after that, I'm pretty confused. I do believe, help my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief, is what the man says to Jesus. How does this turn out? When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. So again, does it seem like it's getting better yet? Not so much better yet. Some are saying he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And in some other places where this is talked about prayer and fasting, meaning that there's a a deeper place, a deeper power and connection with God necessary to be able to deal with this stuff than where they had gotten. So they needed to stay in prayer. They needed to have a deeper relationship with God so that they could have more power and be able to fight these sort of larger battles that way. So what are some lessons that we learn from this story of the father who brings his son to Jesus to be healed and delivered? First lesson is that you can believe and not believe at the same time. It's complicated. I believe that the father was telling the truth when he said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe and I don't believe. Anybody been there where it's just kind of complicated? I do believe and I don't believe. We can believe and not believe at the same time. Now, I think a fun example would be Peter walking on water. You know, it's a, it's a famous story from the Bible. Jesus is walking on water because he's late. That's the reason. And uh, the boat's gone. He missed the boat. And so he's just going to walk out there. And the disciples see him. They're all scared. And they don't know who he is. And Jesus says, it's just it's just me. Look, just relax. And Peter says, if it is you, let me come out to you on the water. So Jesus says, all right, come. And if you've heard this story before, Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water too. He believes. He steps out of the boat. And then what happens? He looks at the wind and the waves and he gets there scared and he starts to sink. He believed and he didn't believe at the same time. He started off in faith, walking on water, and then he got nervous and he got unsure and he started to sink. Have you ever stepped out in faith and the first few steps were just fine? And then it got more difficult and the boat got farther away and you're like, oh, And it starts to get a little scarier and you can start to sink. We can believe and not believe at the same time. So here's my lesson for today. I believe that the Holy Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Do you believe that the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant, living word of God? How about Matthew 6.33? Do you believe that for this one? Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So if you believe this is the the holy inspired inerrant word of God and you're short of money, what should you do? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. So 
We should first seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, and then trust God to meet our needs. But how many people will say, yes, I believe the Bible is the holy inspired inerrant word of God, and I'm short of cash, so I guess I'll just work more. Now, God might tell you to work more. There's nothing wrong with working. There's nothing wrong with getting a little overtime. You know, that's, that doesn't mean it's lack of faith. But if God says to do something else, then you want to do something else. But the first thing we need to do is seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So if we're worrying about ourselves, we're worrying about our kingdom, we're worrying about what we want, what we need. You know, Jesus is talking about worry in chapter six here. And he says, like, don't worry about your kingdom, worry about God's kingdom. And then after that, start doing the right thing and God's righteousness. Live right. Don't think to yourself, well, if I just lie in this business deal, I'll make more money. No, 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 no. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. And those things will be added unto you as well. So if we believe that's true, we will live that out. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is what Jesus says. It's recorded in the gospel six times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in all of them and two of them twice. So if you want to find yourself, if you want to live the true life that, that you know you can have, you get one shot at this life and you want to live it to the fullest, what do you do? If you believe the Bible, then you set your life aside and you give it to the Lord. And when you set it aside, you get to have the life you were truly called to have. Do you believe that the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God? Let's go to John fourteen twelve. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, if if we have faith in him, we'll do what he's been doing and even greater. Isn't that amazing? Now, are we going to be greater than Jesus? Of course not. But there are miracles happening all over the world because God's people are praying all over the world. And Jesus was doing things in the Middle East and amazing things were happening. But greater things are happening as billions of people are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for God's power. Greater things are happening, especially greater numbers of answered prayer, miracles, and those sorts of things. But that's what Jesus said. Do we believe it? Well, you can believe and not believe at the same time. How much of it do we believe? How far do we go with it? How can we grow in our faith and our understanding so that like the man who brought his son, he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. Help me to believe that we aren't just here stuck with no power, but that if we follow in in God's ways and we have faith in Jesus, that greater things will come. That we can truly find our life. That you will never have to worry about missing your life. You know, have you ever woke up in the middle of your life? You know, like had an epiphany and you're like, I'm living the wrong life. I'm in the wrong place. I'm doing the wrong stuff. I shouldn't even be here. This isn't my life. If we believe what Jesus said, we give our lives to him, then that'll never happen to us. We'll get to live the life we're supposed to live and we'll feel content with that. Oh, I tell you what, this generation needs that. Lesson number one, you can believe and not believe at the same time. Lesson number two, Jesus didn't reject the father of this boy for his unbelief. In fact, when the man said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. What did Jesus do? He healed his son. He's like, you want to believe? Let me show you. Come here. Bring the boy. Where's the boy? And then he saw it happen. 
Now, it happened in kind of a scary way because he has a huge seizure. You know, before they even pray, then they pray he has a bigger seizure and he looks like he's dead. But, but Jesus picks him up and he's okay and he's healed and free. And so now he can believe. Jesus did not reject this man for saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. In fact, he met him right there and showed him his power. This reminds me also of Peter. You know, Peter started to sink. You know, Jesus wasn't like, oh, loser. I got 11 more. You know, he didn't, he didn't just step on his head and get in the boat, you know. He grabbed him. He's like, oh, Peter, that was a good, good try. Where's your faith, man? Come on. And he, he didn't reject Peter. But let's look at Thomas. Thomas is an amazing case. He was a great man of God, a great man of faith, a great man willing to sacrifice anything for the Lord. And yet we call him doubting Thomas, which I think is unfortunate because of a particular event where he doubted. So let's just read through that from the gospel of John chapter 20, starting verse 19, this situation where Thomas was not rejected, even though he was definitely not believing everything. On the evening of that first day of the week, so that's Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So this is after the resurrection and everybody's worried that the the Romans and the Jews are going to arrest them. And so they got the doors locked. Jesus comes into the prayer meeting, to the gathering, and he starts talking to them. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's a fantastic amount of power, which we won't talk about today. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas, one of the twelve, good guy, willing to go and die with the Lord. Like, what do you think he's going to do? The ten, because Judas is out of the picture by now, the ten are like, hey, we've, Jesus showed up. We all ten of us saw him. What do you think Thomas is going to do? We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He's like, forget it. You people are nuts. You know, I mean, we've had a good couple years together, but wow, something was going wrong. I don't believe you, Thomas says to the 10. Now, what is Thomas not believing? He's not believing the resurrected Christ. Big deal? Yeah, big deal, big deal. This is like biggest deal. (laughs) The resurrected Christ. Thomas, one of the 12, is not believing the resurrected Christ. He's like, nope, that did not happen. Didn't happen. Next verse. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Great lesson here. Thomas has denied the risen Lord. Is he kicked out of the meeting? No, he's still there. Everybody's hanging out. Thomas is there. The group didn't say, Thomas, what is, you know, You didn't believe us. We saw the Lord. You don't believe in him and you don't believe us. Get out. They did not respond that way. Like, ah, Thomas, he'll figure it out later. You know, he'll get there. It's all right. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? 
Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Did Jesus reject Thomas? No. He met him where he was at and showed him who he was. Now the response. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I believe Jesus was setting Thomas up for a special blessing that nobody else was going to get. This extra blessing of believing without having seen. He doubted he didn't pass the test, so he missed that blessing. But that blessing is spoken to us. That if we will believe without having to have it proven to us, that there's a special blessing associated with that. We'll talk about that a little more later. So lesson number one, you can believe and not believe at the same time. Lesson number two, Jesus didn't reject the dad or Peter or Thomas for their unbelief. He met them where they were at. And lesson number three, sometimes the miracle is right around the corner. For this father who said, I do believe, help my unbelief. His miracle was right around the corner, minutes away. For Thomas, it was a week away. He was about to see the resurrected Christ. Sometimes the miracle is right around the corner. That's why perseverance is so important. If Thomas had said, you people are just a bunch of jokers, I'm done with you and left, he wouldn't have been in the meeting a week later. But he was there. If the man with the son had said, look, I tried, they failed, there was a big argument and stuff, I'm out of here, man, this is a mess, these people are goofed up, he would have missed the miracle. Sometimes the miracle is right around the corner, that's why you need to persevere, that's why you need to continue and not quit. But one thing that's important is to guard against a transactional relationship with God. You know what a transactional relationship is? It's where... You do this for me, and then I like you. I do this for you. It's a transaction. The transactional relationship is a kind of a basic relationship. It's not the sort of relationship we're supposed to have with God. We're supposed to have a love relationship with God, a faith relationship with God. We are to worship God. It's not to be a transactional relationship with God. Hey, I prayed and nothing happened. What's the deal? That's a transactional relationship with God. We don't want to have a transactional relationship. We want to love God no matter what. We want to trust God no matter what. We want to persevere no matter what. Knowing that the miracle could be right around the corner. And sometimes it isn't. I mean, right? Sometimes the miracle just isn't right around the corner. And you've got to fight longer than you ever thought you would. That's when we need to have the faith of the three Hebrew children. I just got to read this from Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 13. One of my favorite sections of scripture. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So this is just a straightforward situation of you deny your gods, you fall into idolatry, or I'm throwing you in the furnace. That's a pretty straightforward situation. So how do these guys handle it? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Don't they sound so confident? You can do whatever you want, but our God will rescue us. We don't need to defend ourselves. Our God will do it for us. But they're not transactional in this. Read the next verse. But even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if we burn up, doesn't matter. We're not bowing to your false idols. We're going to serve the living God. We know he's going to take care of us. But if he doesn't, no big deal. We'll just burn up and we'll be doing right in the middle of that. I love that picture of faith. Hey, God can do a great miracle here. And then what happened? God did a great miracle. And the guys that threw them in the fire died, but they didn't. They didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, it was an incredible miracle. But they didn't need the miracle to happen to love God. They just loved God. They just trusted God. It wasn't a transactional relationship. So sometimes the miracle is right around the corner. But stay humble and thankful. Do you really need more than Christ's death on the cross and everlasting life in heaven? Do you need more than that? That's not good enough for you. He's got to answer this prayer too. I tell you what. That's good enough for me. But hallelujah, God answers more prayers than that too. He does more things than that too. I mean, I don't need him to prove anything to me, but it's really cool when he does stuff. Hallelujah. I'm going to do just a few personal testimonies. So consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I believe I've struggled with pretty much everything you can struggle with faith-wise. You know, is God real or not? Who is God? Is the Bible true? How does this work? Some mob kills a guy and now I go to heaven. What? I don't understand how this works. I've been very confused in probably every way possible where it comes to understanding the things of God. So I just want to talk a little bit about some of these. The first one, I mean, I, I became a believer because God met me where I was at. Like it was a miracle. God showed up. I'm not going to tell that whole story. But God showed up. And so then I knew God was real or I was a lunatic. There were the two options. But I I decided over time, if I'm a lunatic, who cares? Then then my decision-making capacity is flawed. So I'm just going to believe that it's real because the other side is kind of moot. So God showed up. But I didn't have any way of understanding how God could be possible. Where are the angels at? When I pray, how does God hear me? I mean, like physically, how does that work? If it's real... It's actually real. It's not fairy tale pretend stuff. God can actually hear me think. How does that work? I didn't have a framework for understanding that. I had to fight through all of that. I had to try to grab hold of it. That was a long process. Let me tell you, I can save you years of wrangling. It all just boils down to faith in the end anyway. It can be more complicated or less complicated, but it boils down to just trusting God. It all boils down to faith. I want to talk quickly, just mention five ways that I've overcome unbelief. So early on, years and years ago, I believed in God, but I didn't believe in other parts of the package. For example, I believed there was a God, but there was a stage where I wasn't sure if the Bible was true or not. How am I supposed to know that? 
I mean, I know the people are telling me I should say. That's a holy inspired inerrant word of God. I know they're telling me to say that, and I'll fit in better if I do that. But I just don't know. How am I supposed to know? I mean, really. And so I decided that I would start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I'd prove it out verse by verse till I got to Revelation. And if it proved out, then it would be true. How do you think that went? Like I said earlier, it all boils down to faith. You know, it can be more complicated or less complicated, but we just have to trust God. But then what I decided to do, this was a decision. I decided by faith, because I didn't have enough information, I'm just going to trust that the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God. And I'm going to live by it. And then when I started living by it, guess what happened? My life began to change in powerful ways. And I got to see God back up his word time and time again. And so after I believed it, it proved itself. There was a time where I believed in God, but I had no faith in the church. But then, of course, when you bring the Bible into it and you say the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God, the Bible talks about the church. Now there's one body with many parts and we all play a part in the body. So if I'm going to believe the Bible, I got to believe in the, in the church too. And that means that God's got a plan and I'm not seeing it because the church people just seem like a bunch of weird people and I don't get them and they don't get me. You know what it's like to walk into church when they don't understand you? They're afraid of who I used to be. Church people are scared of the ones who are willing to ask the questions like, well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to say the Bible's true, but how do you know? How do you know? Share with me how you decided the Bible was true. And then people are like, ah, bah, bah, you know, and they get scared of people like that. I didn't fit in in church, but guess what? It's in the Bible. So I figured, well, it's in the Bible. It's got to be true. How can I figure this out? How can I be the part that I'm supposed to be? And then I learned how to do that, how to engage. I believed in God, but I didn't have any concept of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, God is real, great, he showed up, awesome, Jesus died on the cross, I'm starting to get that, redemption, love, you know, and justice mixed together, redemption, okay, starting to catch on that. What's that Holy Spirit stuff? There's people speaking in tongues now. So here was my first thought with that was, I mean, at least fake me a decent miracle. You're going to babble nonsensically and tell me that's God? Come on, you're not even trying. That was my reaction. Few people are like, yeah, me too. Other ones are like, he's a bad guy. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, then I found something out. God met me in, oh, I think it was 1995. God met me, changed my heart, showed me all kinds of things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and some of those deeper things and speaking in tongues and the heart transplant that happens and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I believe in that now. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. I believed in God, I believed in service to God, but I didn't believe in abundant life in Christ. You know, Jesus said that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that he came to give us life, life to the full, life more abundantly. I thought, well, Jesus died for me, I'm going to sacrifice for him. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here about sacrificing for God, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go spend and be spent. I'm going to use myself up for the kingdom of God. I'll suffer in every way necessary. Except the problem was, is I suffered in unnecessary ways too. I just lived in a mentality of lack and want and misery. Turns out God's nice to us. It's neat. Now, you're a Christian in an underground church in a place that believing in Jesus is highly persecuted. You're going to have a different experience than what we're going to have in Minnesota. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's times where there's martyrs and there's persecution and hardship and difficulty and that sort of thing. But you know what? God is good. And I found out he actually wants us to be happy too. And live a fulfilling, nice life. I mean, hey, if it's time to die, go ahead and do it. Step up to the plate and you you take whatever's coming. 
If he calls you to that, you do it. But I tell you what, most of the time, we go to work and, you know, we, we can enjoy life. It's really great. And then the last one, I understood about God, but I didn't understand about walking in faith. I knew Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. I was one of those people that he died for, so that's neat. But I didn't know how to walk by faith, to put my faith on something, to trust God, to ask God, show me what you want to do. Okay, thank you for showing me that. All right, now I'm going to believe that that's going to happen. I'm going to see it come to pass. Without being able to walk by faith, there's no Good Hope Church. You know, got to show up with a bunch of other people's money and plant a church and trust God for it to work out. You got to choose faith over fear on a daily basis. And just to understand, okay, I got to walk by faith. I got to call things that be not as though they are. Trust God for his plan. My point with all of that is this. It's okay to believe and not believe. To say, I do believe. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. It's okay to work that out over time. Don't feel unnecessarily pressured or pushed. And I tell you what, don't you fake it. Because unless you work through the process of seeing God's plan and having the doubts and having God meet you, unless you work through that process, persevere through it, you're going to have a counterfeit result. You know, if I was just like, yep, everybody likes me when I say the Bible's true, I guess it is. Where would I be today? It has to be real. And it's okay to battle through those things for real. My dream was to plant a church, so this would be almost 10 years ago, to plant a church where I would be welcome in all of the stages of my life. We want the person who just has no clue, who doesn't believe in God at all, to be able to come in, have church, have some friendly people talk to them, get a cup of coffee, have a good experience, and realize, oh, these people aren't so bad. They're not a bunch of, you know, religious kooks. They're they're normal people. Huh. That's a surprise. You know, it'd be good to be able to be that for that guy. How about the one who believes in God and is super angry about the hypocrisy of the church and just how ridiculous everything is, you know, naive and all that understanding. That guy be welcome here? Sure. We won't let him teach kids, but, you know, he could could, could come to church. All along that process, let's be real with this. Here's a promise I'll give to you. I will never reject you for having questions. I will never reject you for believing and not believing. Because I've been there. And I know that we need people with us through that. I will never reject you for that. Now again, you might not be able to teach Sunday school. But I won't reject you. So understand this. God is there for you. God is good. God is faithful. I got one verse I want to read as our closing scripture. And this is a blessing I've told people that I... I don't get to have. But I think there's a piece of this blessing for me. And there's probably a piece of this blessing for you. We read it already. John 10, 29 says this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I did forfeit that blessing. You know what the greatest part of that blessing is? You can walk into the things of God like that. Took me years and years of wrangling and struggling and fighting and trying to understand just to get a little ways. I could have done all that in a week, but instead it took me years because I had to see everything. I had to understand everything. I needed it to be demonstrated. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, today is a new day. Seriously, up till today, every time I've read that verse, and I've read it a lot, 
I thought, I wonder what it would be like to be one of those people that gets that blessing. Because I know I don't get it. Because I've been Thomas, and I've said, hey, unless you show me, unless, unless I see it, I don't, I've been Thomas. Today when I read it, it was like, there's a piece of this. There's things I can, I can walk by faith in. I can just believe without having seen. I'm at that stage in my life now where I'm coming up on new things that I got to trust God with. And I can just believe. So I can get some of this blessing. That means that we make a choice to say, yes, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. You don't have to prove it to me. I'm going to trust you with this. I've seen enough of you. I've got enough of an understanding of your character and your goodness I'm going to trust you. You don't have to prove it to me. I'm loyal and on your team and I'm going to walk in your ways. So let's go get that blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not reject people for unbelief. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't reject this man who brought his son, that you didn't reject Peter when he began to sink, that you didn't reject Thomas when he didn't believe the 10, but Lord, that you met each one of them right where they were at. And Lord, I know you met me right where I was at. So Lord, for each of us here, I pray that you would meet us where we're at, that you would help us, Lord, even to grab hold of the great blessing that you offered to Thomas, but that he didn't in the moment receive that blessing of believing without seeing, to not have to wrangle and fight and be mired in unbelief and fear and worry, but just to trust you, just to have that childlike faith. But we want that blessing. Help us to walk in it. Lord, show us where we believe and where we don't believe. Where we need to overcome our unbelief. We trust you for the afterlife, but we don't trust you for this life. We trust you in certain ways, but not other ways. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would just show each one of us. How are we believing in you? And then what are we missing? And Lord, right now, we say we will believe you. We want that blessing that goes to those who believe that have not seen. We're just going to trust you. We're going to trust you with it. We're going to release it to you and believe. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you that we can believe by faith and not have to have you prove it. But Lord, we trust you. You are so good. Thank you for all the good things you've done. Thank you for meeting us where we're at. Thank you for blessing us in so many ways that we don't deserve. We just honor and worship and glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.